0: Let us start again. Perfect. So this
1: is Biblical Wealth Lesson 2? Biblical Wealth Lesson 2. Uh, the first class, we explored the question, is wealth a good thing? And we determined and it was! We determined that it was. That's why we're back here again tonight. It is a good thing. It's still it a is, good thing. It's <laughs> still a good thing. Uh, Amen. As Joshua said last week, it it can be a good thing. Because it's true that wealth in the hands of the wicked or the foolish, it will quickly flee. And there's good stories on that. There is very fascinating stories of that, yes. But we uh, just, yes, we we reviewed wealth, we reviewed the fact that it is indeed a gift from God. We determined and discussed that wealth should be for the glory of God, that Mm -hmm. our use of the wealth should be for a good purpose that it is, in fact, a heavenly pursuit to pursue the things that generate wealth, not the pursuit of wealth itself. Things like, we discussed, wisdom. Well, is key. Proverbs spent, are replete with the combination of wisdom and riches. And wisdom you, and wealth. And you spent, I think, a good deal of time making sure that we,
0: we made clear that the love of money was not the problem. Or the money was not the problem. The money was not the problem. The it love was the money, love of money. money right? Exactly. So, money is okay, right? But loving it—that thing where a heart is—is right. is a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And,
2: and it kind of reminds me of uh, was it in Matthew five, where Jesus doing the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. 6. It's not. Uh, you're right. Six. right. Exactly. It's not. It's not. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and you will be a very happy poor man. Um, he's saying you could be because it, you've got all that you need but there is this sense that God will provide anyway I mean that's the, the end of the Birkat Hamazon right? I, right. I've never seen a righteous man forsaken his children begging for bread right. so it's like um, because I was thinking this week, this week about this topic um, and it ca- occurred to me that wealth is somewhat relative and I think that the problem sometimes is that when we ever people talk about wealth being a bad thing what they normally mean is more wealth than I have So what, uh, because if you think about it, you being wealthy is very different from someone in New York City being wealthy. It's just a different standard of living, a different way of doing things. It's completely different from someone in Uganda being wealthy. I mean, if you have air conditioning in this country, uh, and if you have access to internet, you're extremely wealthy compared to huge chunks of the planet. So that's something that I think somebody take for granted. So it's like, if you think about it it's in that sense, I'm not saying that every it's all equal, obviously it's not, there are poor, there are wealthy, and I think it is contextual, yeah. but that being said I think that you um, to, your, to your point, I think that it just highlights how much the, the, the money itself is not good or bad, right. because if it were, then there's some sort of threshold that you weren't supposed to cross, but there really isn't, not for the normal person yeah.
0: so, so yeah, please. yeah, so let me, yeah, let me comment there I, th- I think about this in two in two ways, and, and you know, I bristled when you when you you said one of your points there. I like to make you
3: bristle. Yeah, and
0: I, and, I, and I like that. <laughs> so I, I've I've made more money, at least in the past five years, than I ever thought I would. Um, but I'm still not wealthy. I make a heck of a lot more money than I ever did. And I make a heck of a lot more money probably than, than my children do at this point in their careers. Of course, I'm twice the age. But here, at, towards the end of my career, I'm, I'm making a whole lot more money because I own a company. And, and of course, that's capitalism, the American dream, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I don't, think, I don't think wealthy is relative within our country. So like Bill O'Reilly. He's wealthy, Mr. Trump, our president. He's wealthy. In fact, it turns out that most of the people that get elected to Congress eventually become wealthy. I, you know, that's curious to me, and that's a different, different class, obviously. But, uh, but, I was thinking about what you were saying in a different perspective. So, you know, like reading the Midrash. Um, where a sage will come across a man who is wealthy, but he doesn't mean wealth. He means in family love and in the joy of his children. Uh, he's wealthy in the fact that everyone in the town loves him and he's beloved because of his generosity and so on. And, and really, to I think to your point, the amount of money he makes is not the question or the issue, but it's how he handles his wealth that causes other people to say that he's wealthy or how he handles the love of his family or, you know,
2: and, and so forth. Do, do, do you see where I'm going? There are certainly different, different categories of wealth. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just thinking about in a contextual sense. Um, there are people in this country that... For the career they're in, the part, the country that they live in, whatever, they for their entire lives will never make more than thirty thousand dollars. That might be a year, yeah. you know, yeah. insert number. Um, so when you, if you think about a comparative sense, then if you make more than that, it may not necessarily be wealthy in the sense of like kings and queens and Bill Gates and so forth. Yeah. But are you more wealthy than them? Yes. And the reason why I bring this up is because if you look at some of the, um, the anti-wealth rhetoric, there's always this very arbitrary line for what constitutes wealth. And yeah. it basically boils down to what is the percentage of people that is relatively small so that we can pretty much tell the rest of the people, yeah, they have more money than you, they should pay.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I agree, and I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. That, and I'm just that saying arbitrary it's, line to say, they. Right. Forget it, the rest. It's, <clears throat> It's it's us and them, and right? That's horrible, right? And and the, I don't I, I don't mean to step on it, but I don't think the Bible no ever portrays it as us and them.
2: And there I are wealthy men that are describing the Bible for sure, and wealthy
0: people, and there's many cautions.
2: Right, there are cautions, absolutely. But I think it's interesting that if you look at one of the best cautions about wealth in scriptures, to the kings, telling them not to amass horses and not to amass gold for themselves, wives, wives yeah, right? Yeah. Um, it's fascinating to me that it's only in reference to kings. Not to say, I mean, obviously, that's the that's top of the top. So theoretically, they should be the most wealthy person in the country. I get that. But it's interesting that there's like, it's almost like there is a place in power that maybe wealth and power is a dangerous mix. But it's not, God doesn't, God's not talking to the rest of Israel saying, okay, now here's your threshold. If you have more than 12 sheep, you know, you better stop. It's not a. There's not a line drawn there because I think what, we're, what I'm trying to say is that um, we can all be grateful for what God's given us and use it for his glory and at the same time it can be destructive no matter how much it is sure. because ultimately all of the dangers and all of the blessings that go with quote-unquote wealth are somewhat relative. Now, can you do anything? No, but they're yeah. still pre- present. Yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of and uh, um, we'll give
0: it Sorry, this is exactly why we're here. It's a uh, fiddler on the roof. Mm-hmm. Wait, if if I, I, please go. strike me with wealth. And may I and never may recover. I never <laughs> recover.
1: <laughs> yeah. So to your point, Joshua, there was a fascinating article about the the turn of our country against billionaires, yeah. and mm-hmm. it pointed to the Occupy Wall Street Mm-hmm effort, and it said everyone kind of forgot about that, but the only thing that really stuck was this term, the 1%. Mm-hmm. And so you're exactly right. It's like it, it, we, we were a little more fuzzy on that line, but all of a sudden, because of that movement, there's a line drawn in the sand now, and it's this idea of the 1% that gets talked about all the time, and, and it's the spotlight shown on them for, oh, well, of course they've done something wrong. I mean, how how else, you know, and they're always throwing out these crazy <laughs> statistics like, you yeah. know, the, the 1% of people own like 50% of the wealth of the country or something like yeah. that, you know, and it's like, but I, I just, I think that is, that is, um, as Rabbi Daniel Lapin has often uh, preached against, it is pointing a negative light towards all of the work that got them there. That's all exactly of the people right. that they employ. Right. All of and, the and good that they've And if you, and if you done. talk to a small business owner
0: in America, you do the same thing. Yeah. It, it may be on a smaller scale because he sells carpet rather than an operating system used by four billion people. Right. But it's the same thing. You, you know, it's interesting to Joshua's point, which I think is absolutely correct. It's relative. You may not be in the top 1% of the wealth of America. But if you're in America, you're already in. The top echelon of the rest of the planet. So when these socialists and communists start to complain that, you know, "This this is really a problem here. This economy thing doesn't work. Somebody needs to sit them down and give them lunch, <laughs> because yeah. they, they obviously need a breather to understand.
1: That's actually a really good segue, but oh, I'm sorry, did you have a comment? No, go ahead. So, uh, Jim Rohn is a billionaire and a uh, motivational speaker. He's written a lot of books and whatnot, and I caught one of his older videos, and he's got kind of that older voice and everything, and. He said, there's, he was preaching about how you become successful. And he's like, I'll, I'll teach you right now. I'll teach you right now. How to succeed. Two things. That's it. You know, and everybody's like on the edge of their seat. He's like, number one, be in America. That's it. He's like, it's easy. It's actually very easy to succeed here. You're in America, you're succeeding. Like He's like, it's so hard to fail in America. And then he jokes, of course. And he's like, no one's ever said, if only I could get to Poland. <laughs> 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 and it's true, America, right? And so that, yeah. that goes to your yeah. point. His second thing is, you just work hard. That's it. Just work hard. You're in America, and you work hard. You're done. You are going to be successful, which is actually the perfect segue into this next chapter, so to speak, or this next section of the book, which is titled "Working Hard." Yeah, I thought it was economic pushups. No, and I know that you guys hard. have a lot of great feedback on this topic, but I was going to share a few of their neat. Verses that they've pulled out, and interesting commentary around working hard. So, the first thing was this interesting take on the, this, this verse. So, it's, uh, the, the first part says, HaShem created the world with kindness. He did not put people in this world that they may suffer. Still, all around us, we see much distress. How can this be? The, they summarize this from the uh, verse from Job 5, verse 7. But man is born to toil as sparks fly upward. And so they, they kind of drosh out this idea of like, this, this is the summary essentially of like what man can expect. You're, you're born to toil and to trouble and to work hard. And uh, I, I think this is another interesting point that they made that one of the very first thing things that God did to a man was put him to work. Absolutely. Right here out of Genesis, Absolutely. Genesis 2.15, it said, The Lord took the man and it put him in the, in the garden, garden of Eden to work it and keep it. That is literally like the verse almost directly after the creation of man. Yeah. So we, you know, they're, they're tying these threads together, showing like, this isn't, this isn't a bad thing. This is literally what you were born to do. And, and to that point, it's important to clarify that the curse
2: after the fall is not that man would work. Is that work would be difficult.
1: Yes, that's work right. was that's always there. Yeah, work was always good. Ones, that's right. Mm-hmm.
2: But now he would have challenge. He would have opposing forces in his work, and I think that's you know we can we can all identify with that. Mm-hmm. You know, the Agreed. computer doesn't work or whatever it might be. Before the fall, everything you know worked worked properly. You put in your effort and you saw a result. It was, it was no group So <laughs> you know,
3: it, it
2: <laughs> improper. The silver lining to the fall, yeah, right? You know, work.
0: work. You know, eating. you don't eat. Exactly. And and the uh, the Orthodox are very clear about the money put aside in each community for strangers, for those out of work and so forth, infirmed. Uh, you know, hey,
1: if you're not working, if you don't do something, it's not yours. Well, That's even- actually a really good point because one of the things, I was just jumping in real quick, but I had this interesting thought about that I'm just was reading in uh, Matthew and it goes over where Yeshua is confronted about paying tax mm. and his response is so interesting because he says uh, I'll just read it this is Matthew seventeen twenty-seven. he says however not to give offense to them go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up and when you open its mouth you will find a shekel take that and give it to them for me and for yourself the reason I bring this up in the context that you just said is because that from the master is a very interesting illustration, where the blessing. This is clearly a miracle that there's literally a coin that's worth enough for the two of them to pay their half shekel tax. In that's the fish's It mouth. just happens to be in the fish that he catches. So it's it's miraculous. The first fish. The first fish. It's a miracle, but he he makes them go work for it. That is literally his prior occupation was he, a fisherman. He could have done one of these deals. Exactly. Yeah. You know, right Yeah. Yeah, ear, yeah. yeah no. <laughs> but no, yeah. he does. He he actually made, he revisits his old occupation, and he goes and fishes for it. I just thought that was fascinating. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, I, I think I think it was no, pretty, pretty cool that. that there sound was, there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what I mean? <laughs> it was
0: pretty cool that there was an implication that maybe the fisherman, certainly the fisherman, would catch more than one fish.
1: The first one. Yeah, just the first one. Right. Look in the mouth of the first one you yeah, Exactly. This was a, a neat uh, commentary from Brachot 8A that says, Rebbe Chaya Bar Abba said in the name of Ula, Greater is one who enjoys the labor of his own hands than one who regards Hashem with awe. This is from Yerat Shemaim, that first one. And then it says, While he who regards Hashem with awe is fortunate in this world, he who toils... Enjoys this world and also delights in the goodness of the world to oh, come. Oh, that's
2: cool. Well, and you think uh, you, I don't know to get ahead of you, but I mean, no, no, how no, many times is possible to book, get ahead? All discussion. I how many times in the Book of Ecclesiastes to say, and what is man's reward in this life? What's the reason why man's here? What's the what is it? What's left for man? What's good for man in this world? But to work hard and enjoy the fruits of labor. Basically, that that seems to really be the the end line. I think about what we were talking about earlier about. Wealth being somewhat relative. I would say that to me is... I wouldn't say it's like wealth, but that you might call it that. Mm. Because um, if you are blessed enough to be able to work hard and then of your labor be able to enjoy it and not just be barely making ends meet or maybe not even doing that, but if you're able to make enough earnings or food or whatever it is your job is right, to, to be able to enjoy that fruit... Then I would say that that is a really good place to be. I, I'm I'm gonna gonna
0: try and define it and say. Even in our lives, in yours and mine. That, if we're making enough wealth, that we can care for our families, cover the bills, etc., and Be able to buy that piece of meat for Shabbos, that bottle of wine for Shabbos, the flowers for your bride for Shabbos, I think that puts you, again, in a graded, wealthy category. I think it's, yeah, absolutely. If if you've got to bust your butt and there's absolutely nothing left over, perhaps because you've foolishly gotten, you know, torn into debt. And and it's it's becoming your master rather than or you weren't born in America and things are
2: not so great for
0: you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here you are in Czechoslovakia, and well, there it is. Yeah. You know, so uh, I I I think there's a big difference in my mind, hearing what you're saying between wealth and wealthy. Okay. Right. I I can follow you there. I I may I may have some wealth, but whether I'm is a totally, like you said, variable thing, depending on my circumstance. If if we're having cereal every day and, and there's just you know there's just not enough money to go around. But by God's grace and our hard work, we've we've got the opportunity to put on a, a nice clean shirt and have a special meal with a bottle of wine on Shabbos. You know, there's
2: a degree of wealth there that I would, I would lean into wealthy, right? Right. I think, yeah, I agree. And I think that's my point, is to say that I feel like Ecclesiastes really summarizes um, kind of the harmony of wealth and work. Yeah. And that work, to your point, it is always good, but work that does not result in your ability to enjoy the fruit of that labor, I think is, is discouraging. good, wealthy. Yeah, it's not wealthy, and it's definitely, and I think it's very, I think it's difficult, especially for a male psyche. I mean, I have to say, for myself, it's amazing the difference, and I think there are other reasons for it too. But it's, I feel like it's amazing the difference between when I was searching for a job, and you know, working minimum wage in the meantime, just so I was doing something, um, to when I was doing a job that was just barely enough to, you know normal life we weren't struggling but you know it wasn't done a lot of extra money for fun things or whatever else um to uh, making enough money to be comfortable like the 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 work changed i each step actually the job got to something i like doing more which was nice but also getting having a higher level of income i think as a man it's very affirming to yourself to make you feel better about life better about what you're doing um, and so I say, like from Xiasis, I think that Solomon's a pretty smart guy, and his summary of what makes life good, I think, pretty much boils down to that, mm. uh, along I mean, with obviously righteousness. And sure. Sort of, oh yeah, yeah.
0: I'm, I'm beginning
2: to think that wealth means there's something left over.
0: Mm. I mean, we all have incomes. Everybody in this room is making, I would say, good money, mm. but. If through circumstance, you're loaded down with debt, and you're making the same amount of money he is, right. but there's nothing left over, right. do you have wealth? I, I would say no, but he's making the same amount of money, but through some frugalness or circumstance or whatever the case might be without the debt, he's he's got wealth. Mm-hmm. So compared to you, to your point, he's wealthy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I think remiss of me um, not to bring to your attention that we met this guy some time ago and he had just been hired by a company which obviously needs to remain nameless but he, as far as I've been able to tell as we've conversed worked his butt off and just recently after what a year a year and a half about a year and a half was given a review rebu- rewarded handsomely and given an amazingly large increase in his pay to recognize the diligence the right. hard work the value he is to the company and so forth now of course they're going to snatch him away from us and take him to a communist country but um, <laughs> socialist, for, socialist <laughs> thank you for, for a short time um, but to me that's That's how it ought to be, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Good man. He's given an opportunity. He shines. You must have been thinking of Tanhuma say 13. I think that almost. I knew it. Way. I knew it. Yeah. yeah. And it, that says a person needs first to labor and work with his two hands. Only then does Hashem send his blessing. Mm-hmm. That's literally what you're just. Oh saying. yeah. <laughs> It doesn't apply to me. My brother's messing a hand. Yeah. That's, you know that's a very unique. So if I had two things. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: I I hear you. You gotta give the opportunity to work and demonstrate. Absolutely. That's cool. And I think I think one of the best examples and one that I kind of applied to my own life in, in the stage that I was in earlier in trying to start over my career and those types of things, is Joseph. And I think of the story of Joseph, yeah. he does not step into a comfortable situation where he's being experiencing the fruit of that labor immediately. Mm-hmm. He's a slave and he's not even supposed to be. He was kidnapped. Mm-hmm. He's put in the slave's position, but he works so diligently that his foreign master is so impressed he puts him in charge of everything. Mm-hmm. Then Twice. after he's accused falsely by the master's wife and thrown into prison, he is so diligent and so trustworthy that the prison puts him in charge of the prison. <laughs> like I mean that that's that I feel like that just so it's not surprising that when 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 a righteous man works when he finally does uh, God opens that door for him that then he is rewarded above and beyond anyone's wildest dreams because it was so obvious from the get go the man has already proven himself but he did it without the reward and I think that's one thing that my father really strove to teach me as a child growing up and I, I think that it it stuck pretty well work is good it's not money is good work is good now out of that work You get things. But the work itself, even just if you just did the work, that would be good. To Joshua's point, as I grew up, and I'm, I guess, a generation
0: before you, my father and I never talked about money. We always talked about work. And work was good. Work was, was not a bad thing, was not a bad word or anything like that. And I never knew my father not to work. and he always encouraged me to work. And you know, in, in grade school, uh, I was a little geeky glasses I did. but in, in between my 10th and eleventh year or my ninth and tenth year in school, ninth grade to 10th grade, during that summer, we worked together, building railroad tie walls, and it, it made a, a great difference for me. You know, I had I had worked, and I reaped the benefits in school. Not from a monetary perspective, but from a from a respect perspective. I you know I actually could pick up a basketball now instead
1: of you know struggling with the weight of it. <laughs> The, uh, I, I think the point you guys are making is excellent. And I love the point about not necessarily working for the reward because this great proverb, and I've always thought this should be like the mantra of every financial advisor ever. It is of the, the righteous men we know that are financial advisors, but it's the proverb 1311 that says, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. And so to the point of working hard without necessarily looking for the reward, there are definitely times and seasons in life where it doesn't come all at once. <laughs> it's not just a big lump sum or, or a giant increase. It, it, it's kind of that slow and steady. Slow and steady mm-hmm. over time, Hashem, mm-hmm. it will just continue to increase. May might be a little, but it continues to increase. And of course, the the great advice that we've heard from various people is, as your money and income increases, your expenses should stay the same. As much as possible, so that way you're continuing to put money away. There's a very inspiring story that Tony Robbins always shares in a few of his wealth books about a gentleman (laughs) who never made more than $14,000 in his whole life. $14,000 a year. I think he worked for the Postal Service in like the 1950s or whatever. And he was told early on, you need to save, and I think it was 10%, 10% of his money. And it was already very little. But he invested that ten percent, and over the course of about fifty years, he retired and ended up dying with something like twenty million dollars in the bank <laughs> that he left to his family, oh, because of compound interest. Because America. of his right, exactly. But because of the exactly because of the economy re- rising, you know, seeing those those massive returns year over year yeah. through the stock market through those years, and so it's just a, it's a very inspiring story to point out the the real truth to this proverb, yeah. I think. Yeah,
2: and I think even God himself even actually sticks to that, that method. If you look about the, the conquering of the land of Canaan, God repeatedly tells the children right. of Israel, I'm not going to get it all, all at once. once. Yes. Now, he could have very easily, yes. but he specifically says he won't do that so that the animals don't take over and so forth. And I think it's exactly to your point. Yes. Um, when, you, when you progressively increase wealth, you learn the experiences along the way and you're able to both appreciate what you have also have enough wisdom on what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're giving it all very quickly, then you kind well, of Like miss lottery winners. It. Lottery winners is a great example and it's tragic what oftentimes happens to of them. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, But but even, you know, you see that with, with lots of different things, but I'm th- even like outside of that, like, um, you know, if you think about like a, um, you know, a child who's given uh, everything and doesn't ever have to so receive spoiled. anything. Uh-huh. You know, sorry, yes, that's exactly uh-huh. right. The same mentality because then you, you can have the risk of that person not um, not understanding it, because receive it without having to work for it. Whereas in this case, if you're gradually, then um, hopefully you've you've
1: uh, you've earned the right to have that, so to speak. Yeah. I would recommend the book uh, "Money Master the Game" by Tony Robbins because one of my favorite parts of that book was he interviewed something like 50 billionaires about wealth, and one of the questions he asked to it was I thought a very good question. It was similar to what you said, and he said. If you couldn't leave a dime to your children, all you could leave them was a portfolio or a financial strategy. What would you leave them? And their answers are quite fascinating, really interesting. And so I, I would highly recommend it. A uh, little teaser was uh, index funds came up a good bit. There's also a very heavily diversified all-weather portfolio from Ray Dalio that is very popular. But anyway, it was it was a fascinating question. The response was. Was quite interesting, and it, and I think it started getting them thinking about that, about how their kids would be different if they weren't expecting a massive payout at some point in their life, if they actually needed to not only earn the money but then do their own work at saving and investing. I think I've actually heard that Warren Buffett
2: intends to do just that. That like he's not going to spend it all. He's gonna he's gonna give them a healthy amount of money, but they're not gonna. Be anywhere close to as wealthy he is, because he specifically wants them to earn it. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I'm, I'm uh, reminded that the righteous man leaves a heritage for his children, mm-hmm. and his children's children. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what, what what the heritage is. It could be some, you know, great stories, <laughs> good paintings. Mm-hmm. this probably has to do with. But uh, um, as I get older, I'm thinking about that, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because I don't consider myself a wealthy man. I have clients that are wealthy men. I have many clients who are wealthy men. And... something you know so it it does make you step back and and say okay if you have a life of riotous living and it's been a great ride and you're just playing the game and it's all going to collapse if you don't keep working that kind of deal um, then is that how the righteous live? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so tomorrow I'll buckle down and you know, start. To, <laughs> start
2: doing something. Well, yeah, I mean, I just, I just a quick search for work in the scriptures, and of course, the so very it's, you're it's all over. All over the place. It's all over. The place. It's all over the place. But the very first reference to work is God. Yeah, He's, He's, he rested from the work that he had done. That he had done. If you think about that, I mean, that's... What an amazing way of looking at that. In fact, it's interesting, in Hebrew, um, if I recall correctly, the word for work, like your job, work, um, is different from the word for work like we're just describing here. Yeah. Um, and if I recall correctly, the word for your job is actually avodah, which is actually the word for service, service. or worship. So work, um, biblically speaking, I think has a, a very positive connotation. Yeah. Um, it's a very good thing. Um, and then, yeah, in the end, the Hashem, if if you are, if, if God blesses that work, then hopefully you have not only enough for yourself, but also for your descendants. Amen. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Pirkei I vote five twenty three is a good reminder. Ben Hehe says, according to the pain is the reward. So it's a good, good <laughs> reminder that there are times when hard work is that. It is hard. Oh, yes. It is, uh, we just talked about it before we started. It can be very stressful. It can be long hours. It can be tough, but there's there's reward there, according yeah. to your K. Vote, which is um, a cool verse. If, uh,
2: three times a week, I, I, I meet you in <laughs> the early mornings in the gym <laughs> and are reminded that hard work is hard. Yes, yes, agreed. <laughs> uh, the, so good, to, to good. the point, hard.
1: Yes, exactly. It's to, to the point that you guys were just saying, Ecclesiastes 9.10 mm-hmm. says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Mm-hmm. The apostolic parallel to that is Paul's admonition that when
0: we work, we do all things as unto Messiah, with excellence.
2: Mm-hmm. Same deal. Right. And actually specifically I think it's Colossians, he references to the servants saying, yeah. and don't work just because your boss can see what you're doing. Work for an eye who sees all the time. And mm-hmm. and I think that, that 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 integrity is something that um, ironically enough bosses and managers actually are really looking for. I mentioned earlier, Joseph, and I, I think that's a big deal. When you are working hard, whether someone's watching you or not, when you are when you are um, when you are Honest and trustworthy in your work. Some you know, letting your letting your boss know when you messed up or whatever it might be. You know, that kind of um attitude I think ends up doing really, really well. It's kind of like we've talked about before. It's like you're not doing it because of that. That's not your motivation, it's not your reason. But it's like it's like the physics of the of the spiritual universe. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. God designed the Torah in such a way and the scriptures such a way that when you live the way that you're supposed to, based on that. Oddly enough, things more often than not work out for you. Mm-hmm. Not they don't always. Yeah. God God has other plans sometimes for us. But the point is that like more often than not, you see you see that success, mm-hmm. and and sometimes in the midst of it not being so for others, I think about Isaac. You you remember that article you sent around from Chabad.org a while ago? Um, Isaac uh, is in the land of the Philistines. It's a famine. they are talking about him like reaping a hundredfold of everything. Not surprisingly, the Philistines start to get a little you know irritated with him but the point is that like it's amazing to see God bless the righteous even in a time when everybody else is struggling Mm -hmm. many people believe that if
0: you own a company then you have one master God that may be true in some other
3: (laughs) businesses but (laughs)
0: have many masters, somewhere between 200 and 300 masters to whom I'm accountable. And uh, we get a particular uh, thrill when we get to call up one of our masters and say, we've, we've gone above and beyond. I just wanted to share that with you and save you from monetary loss or uh, financial ruin. So, we have got a few minutes to chat with us, we'd love to chat with
3: you, you know, but yeah, there's a lot of masters there. You know, there isn't a month that doesn't pass where I don't stop and reflect and think, you know, the sinner that I am, why Hashem continuously blesses me to the extent that He does, because, I mean, I came to this country with absolutely nothing, and I consider myself a blessed me. And it wasn't just on my own. I mean, I stand on the shoulders of a lot of greater people who helped me out. My parents, friends, even the social system, paying um, for my full scholarship. So I came out without debt, actually more money than I did even going in. But every time I think that way, I just have to thank God. It's mm-hmm. not my, you know, righteousness that I received this. It's, God's plan, mm-hmm. and I will be held accountable for how I use that um, gift. Right. So it's also a point of you know fear, reverence of knowing I need to be a good steward mm-hmm. of what He's given me because I don't deserve it. But mm-hmm. He obviously considers me as the person who needs, who sh- should work this, and as a result, um, put it to good use. At least use for the time for p- the time being. P- p- yeah. And who knows what. This is that is a great a great segue into Kidushim eighty two A,
1: which says the most important of these rules is to know that while a person must plan and labor intelligently, ultimately his success comes only from Hashem. He must recognize that, number one, it is really Hashem who supports him. And number two, it doesn't really matter which occupation he chooses. If he has the merit and the fortune, Hashem will support him generously mayor said, "A person should always teach his son an occupation that is clean and easy, and pray to the one who owns all wealth and possessions. For a person's occupation affects neither his poverty nor his wealth; rather, all depends on one's merit." <laughs> That's cool. I like that. It's it is uh,
0: been a a neat thing to see how the Judaism. Does not care what occupation you have. Just get a job. Whereas in the visible representation of the church, you, you've got parents uh, that are causing their kids to agonize over what their occupation should be, and being led by the Lord and being you know following their bent and this and that. And there seems to be just at least the way they go about it. So much more angst over it. Where. Judaism, it's like, I don't care what you do, just do something. And if you do it, do it well. Hmm. And they do.
3: And God blesses. And I think that's the point. God blesses the fruit of their hand. And oftentimes you hear, you know, marry a good Jewish man. He's going to be a lawyer or a doctor. So they have that stigmatism of, oh, they're always wealthy. They Mm -hmm. always have a position of power. And often there's conspiracy theorists who think the United States is run by a Judeo- uh, Judeo, uh, zionist entity so um but i think it there's scriptural truth to that yeah Yeah. it's not surprising
2: that god's a people group that that perhaps isn't always 100 good at this but nonetheless their culture is such their their heritage is such to follow the things that god put in place that lead to success not surprisingly is successful. successful you know, and I think be, earlier you mentioned the importance of living in America, and I am convinced it is because this country was both founded upon, led by, and ultimately has, <laughs> up until at least the 1960s, embraced Judeo-Christian, Judeo-Christian Christian values. values. You know, And if you look across the world, right. um, with there, there are countries now, and there are countries in the past, that are very wealthy that do not have those values. That being said, it's remarkable if you look at the, where the wealth is collected it's mostly in places that have that. I mean, there are, there, are, there are upper echelons that are so wealthy, but places where the normal people are wealthy, it's places that have a foundation of some kind of blend of Christianity or Judaism. That's
0: yeah. true.
1: Proverbs 14.23 says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty this <laughs> is so a good reminder and then I, I love I, this is just a reiteration of what we were just saying that a person should not be afraid to pursue the profession that really appeals to him Hashem can feed him just as well no matter the path he chooses mm-hmm. and I think and so the, that the, from? The, that was from the book itself so that the would have been a wrote. quote yes that would have been a quote from Rabbi Abraham Avi Schwartz Avi Schwartz
0: but, so, uh, so you didn't mention what's it Deuteronomy 8.18 that it is God who causes us or allows us to make wealth. Mm-hmm. Is
1: that what it is? I, I believe so. Yes. We mentioned that in the prior yeah, we did. class. Yeah, this of course these, these kind of this topic reminded me of Colossians three, twenty three and twenty four, who says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Messiah Yeshua. So that's a it's a good reminder. And we already mentioned the verse about, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Uh, because I, th- That is just, that is so good, because the second part of that, that verse in Second Thessalonians is, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord, Messiah Yeshua, to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Uh, it's, a, it's a good reminder, again, just this idea of working really hard.
0: Well, those two
1: verses together uh, make
0: you um, politicize. For those who are biblicists, so that that covers the whole gamut of uh, (coughs) faiths and practices, for them to be against any type of means testing for welfare seems anathema to their faith. If you want to just give people money or needles, um, simply because they're out of work but are not trying to find work or are not willing to work then really you got a different Bible and if uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez has her way none of us have to work
2: well and if you and again going back it's not surprising that some of the countries that have embraced some of that type of mentality have really struggled um, but I think that, that but I think that also I think that mentally it has to be destructive I mean a, it's, it's fascinating that in, in the in Judaism this principle of working is so important that um, you you know that, that poverty and begging I guess really is debasing that it's it's a terrible thing to be in a place where you depend upon someone else to give you money but, like, you, but you develop a callus doing that well but that, that's what's so fascinating is that if you go into some parts of israel I, you know so there are certainly some beggars there who's traditional beggars what's fascinating is one of the only not the only well, maybe but the only place i think i've been to where i will you run into a beggar and they'll, they'll try to come up with anything they can do to earn your money they'll pray for you they'll bless you they'll give you some little tiny trinket that's completely worthless you have no need for but it's like there's this effort to try to somehow like, oh I but right. I'm working for this. I'm not right. just taking a handout because it's bad to take a handout. Mm-hmm. And I think and so I'm saying is like psychologically I think they they have figured that out. That it's extremely unhealthy to receive it without working. Yeah. Um, to your yeah. point earlier about, about the, the not mattering which employment you're in, I can't help but think about the manna, right? Everyone went out and gathered and everyone ended up with exactly what they needed. It didn't matter how long you got there, how big your family was. And it said some people actually brought in a whole bunch. But it turned out, it was only what they needed. Right. And some people didn't gather a lot. But it was what they needed. And of course, ultimately, that was a miracle as well. I mean, like going back to your point um, there too, Alex. That, like that, that God's blessing is what we're dependent on, not the Amen. result of efforts.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. The... Uh, the last verse kind of on that, that thread of working hard was uh, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense, mm. from Proverbs twelve eleven, 11. The, uh, the last part here that the book touched on in this section of working hard was the idea of ambition, mm. and so this is the, the first introduction from the author of this book. It says, while ambition, the desire to always acquire more, is often a negative force, a wise person uses it in a positive way. He harnesses his hunger to produce healthful fruits, a wealth that brings him closer to Hashem. Thus he reaches greater and greater excellence. Also, since his hunger serves as a silent prayer to Hashem, Hashem helps him achieve his dream. And one of the Proverbs that they use is kind of a, a proof text of that is from Proverbs sixteen twenty six that says, A worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. Yeah. Reminding us of just that idea of like it's that hunger that keeps you going, that drive. Uh, yeah. And then the, in Psalm 107, 9, it says, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. That, that is a it's really I hadn't uh, there's two people that I, I like to listen to from sort of that uh, success genre One is I've already mentioned several times Tony Robbins the other one is Ed Milette. and both of them have something in common where they came from actually very similar Alex very very tough upbringing uh, it, it was difficult getting started they certainly weren't born into wealth at all and they built very big, companies and have amassed a lot of wealth over the years. And one of the things that they continue to point to that characterizes why they are so energetic and so passionate, even after having so much, is hunger. That was, if you have caught some of Tony Robbins' videos before or any of the other stuff, they're always talking about, like, there is just a hunger that you need to have that is that fuel to keep working hard, to keep going after what you what it is that you want uh, and I just they, they it's what's so what, what bothers me sometimes is there's a lot of wisdom into what a lot of these guys say, but it's never pointed in the right direction. They're always pointing that towards wealth. But what we've learned from this class is that should be pointed toward Hashem. that should be pointed towards serving Hashem. Could you imagine the blessing if you worked as hard as one of those guys did? but it wasn't because you didn't want to never have to you know, get food stamps again, or whatever it was that drove them from their upbringing. But it was simply because you recognize that the only reason you have breath in your lungs is because Hashem allows that, and because He actively is working in us to produce good works and leading us and guiding us. I mean, if we focused on that and applied that ambition and that hunger towards serving Him more, I I, I think we would. That's that's the people that we read about in Scripture. You know, those are the men of Scripture that that set the bar high from an example standpoint for being hungry for the service of Hashem. I mean, just picking up any one of the Psalms written by David, and you can you can Mm -hmm. tell there is just this passionate hunger Mm -hmm. for serving Hashem and dwelling with Hashem someday, and that he that it, it drives him, it drives everything he does. So. You you know we see the fruits of some of the secular world, and when they have a hunger for something that uh, similar to what you were saying before, Joshua, where you said it's almost like the physics of the world that sort of bend the way that obviously Hashem built it, but that bend towards they they end up kind of getting that, and that's the thing that they pursue more often than not. They find it empty, which is unfortunate, but it, it they do acquire it. And so anyway, that was that was just my, my last point for tonight's class. Was just a a good reminder, talking mostly to myself about just focusing the attention and our ambition and our hunger towards serving Hashem, dwelling with Him, setting our minds on the reward to come, on the things of of Heaven, and on Sunday, seeing Messiah Yeshua return. Mm. Soon in our days may it be, but uh, just just how that would drive (laughs) our hard work, because it wouldn't feel like hard working. You know, it would feel yeah. like we're, we're in the pursuit of something sure. good. So it may
0: be because of my name, um, but I don't ever see Joseph in the Bible striving to be in charge. I've always seen him as striving to be the number two man and striving to be the best number two man that he could be. And I've tried to model my life around that. And um, given the opportunity, even at at the pistol range, I mean, I don't want to be the guy in charge. I want to be the guy behind the guy in charge, the guy that's making it happen, the guy that's working, um, simply to get the the praise of the, the one that I'm working for. And we model our company that way. We work for others, and I do too, so that the owners of the companies that I work for, I I, I tell them regularly when I'm on the phone, hey, I work for you, tell me what you need. Today we uh, we found, uh, I had, I I can only... uh, Attributed to Hashem, but um, last night I just couldn't sleep and um, thought, I, I think, I think this would be a good way to figure out if my customers are compromised. And I just came to it. So this morning we wrote a script and we started checking to see if our customers were compromised in any way. We had already, you know, locked down the doors and all. But suppose they were compromised before we locked down the door. So we started alphabetically, and we got to a company that started with Advantage. So as you can tell, it was pretty early in the morning, and uh, the script showed that sure enough, one of the employees of that company had been compromised. His email account, his password had been figured out. Hmm. He didn't have two-factor authentication enabled, and somebody got into his email account. And they didn't do anything. They just went into Outlook on the web and created a rule that would forward every email to their Gmail account. Hmm. And that's what this script showed. And uh, so I was thrilled. The idea came to fruition. That's great. We found one. And uh, so I called the owner of the company. and. Uh, He said, uh, we haven't talked in a while. I said, you're right. Um, But I'm calling to tell you that, you know, I had kind of figured out a way that I might be able to check and see if there were any problems behind the scenes without knowing it. And uh, ran this script and found this. And uh, Jonathan uh, so-and-so, has uh, his account's been compromised. He probably doesn't know it. And he's probably changed his password since then. But this is going on in the background. He would never... And he said, uh, how long has it been going on? I said, well, I don't know, I can run some, some queries and I can figure that part out, but uh, here's how I would fix it, and I won't bore you all with how to fix it, but I can return on two-factor authentication and, you know, and why not. Um, but uh, I said, all right, I'll, I'll get all these things done and I'll, uh, I'll update you tomorrow. So I'm, I'm getting ready to hang up the phone and, and he says, hang on a second, thanks good having you standing behind me. And I said, uh, you know the way you put that? It's one of the best compliments I could ever get. I think we should work, but we should not work for wealth. We should work to serve whomever God's allowed in so doing he will bless us out of our socks because he must because he said he would he cannot deny himself it's stupid easy especially in America
2: yeah. any final comments? I was thinking about Alex's comments earlier about being so feeling that grace of God yeah. and the blessings of God and it's fascinating that the passage that comes to mind the context of it, uh, Jacob expresses that same sentiment, but it's only a chapter or two after he tells Laban, "I, I was up all night. I was, you know, if something went it wrong, I told. paid for it. <laughs> I, I mean, he describes very difficult working conditions. He yeah. doesn't, he does not portray in his conversation with Laban any sense that he had not earned the wealth that he had amassed. In fact, at some he's kind of part of his." In sense, is that Laban's acting almost as if it was a ha- handout. And Jacob's right. like, no, I, I earned this. But when Jacob looks at it from a, from a cosmic perspective, he crosses across the Jordan and he tells God, he says, I am diminished because of the grace that you have shown me. Because I crossed over this Jordan with just my stick and my cloak, and now I'm two companies. And so that, that, that dualism yeah. of yeah. working very, very hard... But um, a right perspective. But realizing yeah. that your blessing does not come from your hard work, right. but it's a grace of God. I think that if you do have those two, then ironically enough, you do end up with those two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Amen. Yeah, That's cool. Yeah. Would you like to close this in prayer, sir?
0: He said, sir, I thought he was looking at you, but it's, I think he's looking at me. I'd love to. Oh. Good Father, we thank you for tonight for the opportunity to to your word and to examine the writings of our sages with regard to wealth. I thank you for Gregory and his preparation to lead us and I thank you for the men in this room who are a great example of heads down, hard work and your blessing is a result. Father, we thank you We thank you that you allow us to make wealth. We thank you, Father, that you do choose to bless us as we work hard. We pray as this week continues, Father, that you would allow us to work, to glorify you in all that we say and do, and that as people ask us the cause, the reason, the motivation behind our work, that it would be a love for you.
3: And not for money. I mean.